Welcome everybody to another episode of Be Brown Bag. Tonight we're going to have Charles Adams at Whitehead Techs talking about vendor neutral backup design considerations for virtual infrastructures. Some things that we're going to get out of the way uh, before we start. You can always get in on the conversation by tagging our accounts. Uh, we have accounts all over the world in Spanish, um, mostly English for European, but we sometimes do some things in other languages for Europe and Portuguese. <laughs> Bless you. And uh, you can also send things out to the hashtag BeBrownBank uh, in Twitter, and I will be monitoring Twitter as well as monitoring any questions that come through the GoToMeeting interface. Uh, again, um, our guest is right there and looking really spiffy in his suit. And your host is Ariel Sanchez at Ariel Sanchez More. You can just tweet at me directly as well if you need anything. Uh, Charles, I'm going to send, make, change you, change presenter and send it over to you and take it away. All right. Thank you, Ariel. All right. So the topic for tonight is going to be the vendor neutral backup design considerations for virtual infrastructures. This is basically going to be a uh, crash course on dealing with uh, how your backups are going to occur in a virtual environment. So a little bit about myself. I've been a backup admin for a little over 10 years. I uh, do have some experience with VMware with both my VCP certifications as well as being recognized as a V expert last two years. Thank you very much. And uh, my primary experience has been with both the uh, NetBackup and Commvault software. <clears throat> if you have any questions, uh, you're more than welcome to reach out to me at my uh, Twitter account, my email address, or you can follow along on my website uh, where, where I uh, post articles at various times about different uh, situations with the things I run into. So the real objective of the uh, pre presentation is going to be uh, not to so much to tell you how you're going to set up your backups in your in virtual infrastructure. It's, it's going to be more like how to work with your backup admin so that you get the most out of your backups and make sure that everything runs smoothly. They do tend to be the most overlooked uh, function in your environment when designing and tend to have a very large impact uh, on your environment whenever they actually do run. So unfortunately, it's one of those things that uh, if it's not planned for in advance, it comes back to bite you and you uh, get a nasty surprise later on when everything starts dragging uh, really slowly. So, obviously enough is uh, when you should uh, either consider your design or reconsider your design. If you have a chance to greenfield a new deployment. If you're dealing with uh, multiple products, uh, either virtual infrastructure products uh, such as uh, VMware and or Hyper-V or uh, Acropolis, or if you are doing a hardware refresh, uh, sorry, as far as multiple products, uh, also if you're dealing with multiple backup solutions in your environment. And then uh, also you need to make sure that you uh, reconsider your design if your business uh, requirements change, such as your any kind of hours of operations, backup windows, your uh, recovery point objectives, recovery time objectives, etc. So just to go ahead and get some terminology out of the way so that everybody's uh, talking uh, the same language. Everybody's heard VMware APIs for data protection, VADP. I realize that there's the whole VDDK uh, 
API suite, but your uh, backup admin is typically going to check by VADP, and that's going to be all he's going to know. He's not going to know the the whole API uh, uh, stack and wanting to uh, discuss each part of it. So the VADP is just a catch-all. <clears throat> also, change block tracking. Uh, if you're not using it right now, please turn it on. It's going to save you a lot of headache when it comes to your uh, backups, get, make sure that you're only backing up in incremental blocks uh, so that uh, your uh, backup windows or your backups uh, shrink considerably. And of course, deduplication. And then uh, the support and impact of that's going to uh, vary based on what products you're using, uh, back, what backup solutions you're using, and how you're actually uh, performing those backups. So, getting into it, we're talking about uh, let's discuss uh, physical versus uh, virtual backup uh, devices or uh, backup targets. So this would be your either your server that's running your backup solution, your appliance that's running it, or a virtual machine that's running it. So, of course, physical devices it, it's going to be uh, less processing, memory, and uh, storage load on your virtual infrastructure. Uh, typically is going to support uh, more transport methods uh, and what it will support will, will uh, uh, vary by your vendor. It is going to be tied to hardware so uh, the uh, you're going to have a dedicated device sitting out there somewhere that's going to be only handling your backup uh, system and then typically hot add uh, as a transport method is only going to be supported by a proxy agent so you will have to have still have to have a uh, device or a virtual machine out there to act as your proxy. Your uh, virtual appliances, those can be uh, deployed remotely and uh, more uh, easily decentralized since it's just a virtual machine that gets copied around just like any other. You're not going to have uh, as much uh, hardware to worry about simply because it's going to be using your ESXi hosts. Uh, the only real concerns will be your uh, memory and um, processor utilization uh, primarily. Uh, now this one typically uh, does not support SAN backup. Um, there, it is possible for there to be exceptions. It's going to uh, vary by your backup vendor as to what they will and won't support. But as a general rule of thumb, if you're going to use a virtual device or virtual appliance, expect to not be able to use your SAN backup methodology. <coughs> And this is going to obviously increase your workload on your uh, ESXi hosts. So currently, uh, the VADP or VMware APIs uh, support four different transport methods. There's going to be SAN, NBD, NBD SSL, and HOTAT. Now, some vendors will call them different solutions, different stuff. Um, I've seen some that refer to HOTAT as appliance backups things like that, but th these are the basic uh, transport modes as defined in the uh, API uh, APIs, which I've uh, went ahead and attached a uh, link to both uh, uh, guides for the APIs for vSphere 6.5 and 6.7. So talking about these four modes, SAN transport, it's going to require block storage access, either fiber channel, fiber channel over Ethernet, or iSCSI. Some of the pros to it is it's typically a faster backup. 
uh, data flows directly from your storage system, so you're not having to pass through an ESXi host for getting access to the VMDKs. You do not need to have VM kernel access, which in some environments is um, um, that may be restricted for security purposes or um, uh, compliance. And it's going to reduce your overall IP uh, traffic uh, use in your environment. Now, some of the cons. Typically, uh, sand transport uh, tends to be uh, slower on restores, especially on the provision disks. And this is a uh, limitation of the VDDK APIs. It can increase your infrastructure costs because you're going to have to be uh, implementing uh, either uh, iSCSI, uh, additional iSCSI connections, fiber channel connections, uh, all the various different um, functions to expand to support that uh, access to the block to block storage. Uh, again, uh, some vendors support it, some vendors will not. Uh, it will only provide you access to uh, SAN-based data stores, with the exception of VVOLs. Uh, VVOLs are not supported by SAN transport. And uh, it also, uh, you're not going to have uh, access to, to uh, vSAN, uh, NFS uh, data stores and your uh, encrypted VMs, if you're in, uh, running those in your environment, cannot be backed up over SAN transport. And uh, in some of the earlier versions of vSphere, uh, if the um, you try to run a restore of a virtual machine and the disk size is not a multiple of the uh, underlying VMFS block size, then it can actually cause a restore to fail. So next, we're going to talk about the NBD transport, which is short for network block device. This does require your uh, VM kernel port access. So generally, it does reduce the overall cost because you're, you're just transporting over what you already have currently. It tends to be one of the uh, most uh, widest and broadest supported uh, transport methods of any of the four. They typically do have faster restores, especially if you're dealing with thin provision disks. And it does support uh, VVOLs, NFS, SAN, and vSAN data stores. Now, some of the cons to it are that your VM kernel port uh, is actually uh, throttled for uh, NBD traffic or NFC traffic uh, by VMware. Uh, this is actually hard-coded in there. As more connections come in, it actually uh, reduces the available bandwidth to the uh, port, or I should say to, the, uh, to each of the individual channels, and therefore it's going to throttle you. Uh, it can be less uh, reliable due to network interruptions. If, you, if something happens where you're, you end up overloading your uh, switch for whatever reason, like in a remote office or... If you do run into any kind of uh, network-related issues, firewalls, anything else, it, uh, it can cause your uh, connections to break, and then your uh, backups can fail. It is uh, t uh, typically slower than your uh, SAN transport because it is t uh, over an IP uh, traffic. <clears throat> and uh, you still do not get uh, encrypted VM backup support. So, if you again, if you're using VMware's... Uh, virtual machine encryption, you're not going to be able to back it up using MBD. So now we get to MBD uh, SSL transport, which is network block device over SSL. 
just like NBD, it requires VM kernel port access. Uh, it gets has all the same benefits as your network block device uh, transport, but it also enhances security by using SSL encryption for the transport. Uh, it still supports your uh, VVOLs, NFS, SAN, and vSAN data stores, but it, this actually does have support for encrypted VMs as well. Now, the cons are typically uh, the same as your uh, MBD as far as the um, uh, net, uh, network um, faulty. Uh, if you have a network drop, you're going to have the same basic issues. And it is typically slower, and you do get the, the throttle traffic as well. So, Charles, we do have, you know, this has sparked uh, several questions, uh, mostly okay. about the bandwidth. So, you know, is there an advanced config to change the bandwidth restrictions? Can you leverage multiple VM hosts, which I think that's a yes. Uh, is, you know, I'm being asked, is the backup implementation specific, or is it the same for every vendor? And could you talk more about this bandwidth limitation? I don't know if you have a, an upcoming slide. No, I, I don't, actually. It, it's documented in the APIs. I used to have a nice uh, article that uh, described the actual limitations. So first off, the uh, bandwidth, uh, it, the uh, throttling is actually hard-coded into the uh, VDDK APIs. It is not something that is configurable. You can't put in a, a touch file and adjust it. It is what it is, and you're stuck with it. Um, and I believe it's actually hard-coded, so I don't, even if you were to say have uh, three or four 10 gig um, uh, VM kernel ports uh, aggregated together, I don't believe it'll actually utilize it because I believe it's actually hard-coded to a certain uh, maximum size of transport, and so therefore it ends up um, uh, aggregating the links really don't doesn't buy you much uh, after that point. Uh, this is a VDDK or a, a VADP uh, function, so this is something that is universal across all of your backup vendors. It is a limitation implemented by or a limitation implemented by VMware themselves. Yep, and I do remember that if you have several hosts, each host can have a stream. Uh, I remember that we had talked. I also remember that document that you're referring to. It was about you, you'll never exceed, I think it was around 80% of the bandwidth of a link, and you will not have several streams per host. You will only have one stream per host. So I remember it's it's very specific as to how it, it can limit the bandwidth. Well, as of 6.5, uh, the VM kernel port is up to... Um, uh, 25 uh, NFC connections, so 25 uh, disks being backed up at any given time. Uh, NFC is your network file copy uh, function within the uh, VMware APIs, uh, which is what MBD uh, actually uses for the copying. Mm -hmm. So they've actually upped it to 25 uh, simultaneous streams that can be transferred from any, uh, uh, any VM kernel uh, port. Now, uh, unfortunately, uh, I put in a feature request a while back uh, to be able to check a box for a VM kernel port to say that I want this port dedicated for backups only and to be able to remove that, uh, that bandwidth cap, but uh, I've not heard of any kind of changes being made in that fashion. Now, to your point, yes, you can actually, uh, depending on your backup software and how you have it implemented, 
you can actually uh, set a uh, limitation so that uh, you can only back up so many virtual machines from a um, particular host at the same time, and therefore you're actually uh, distributing your backup workload across more of your ESXi hosts. There, therefore, you're increasing your overall throughput. So that is a possibility. Uh, did I cover pretty much all the questions, or did I miss anything in there? I think we're good. I'm going to try to find that link. Thank you. Okay. So uh, the last transport method is actually going to be your hot add transport. This will require a guest VM proxy running in your ESXi environment. So it's going to use uh, your uh, VM snapshotting functionality and link clones and, and mount those actual snapshots to your proxy host to copy out. It can reduce your overall uh, backup size over the LAN by performing client-side dedupe. It can, uh, you can set up multiple proxies to allow for uh, increased throughput of your environment and does support VVOLs, NFS, SAN, vSAN data stores. And uh, I didn't, I didn't mark it there, but it does support uh, encrypted uh, uh, virtual machines as well. But there are some pretty strict limitations on that. Uh, some of the cons uh, are going to be your client-side dedupe. It's going to definitely increase your CPU utilization on your pro uh, on your host because your uh, proxy is actually the one that's going to be handling the deduplication. So it's going to be having to hash out everything and actually go back and uh, do the actual dedupe itself. So your uh, proxies are typically going to be uh, either you're going to have a, a Windows proxy that's going to uh, function for Windows backups and Linux proxies that function for li uh, Linux backups. Uh, but they actually, uh, uh, they basically will only support their own platform. So if you have both the systems in your environment, at least the last time I checked, the um, you will need to have a, a proxy for each platform that you have. So that means that if you do have a mixed environment, you're automatically going to have to have uh, two, a minimum of two proxies. It's going to use your uh, regular uh, uh, network for transport. So if you have, uh, if you can either carve out a VLAN for your uh, for your proxy to go on to across the backup to isolate it from your production uh, from your production clients or your regular client tra uh, VM traffic. Uh, or it's going to end up uh, utilizing the same bandwidth as your client VMs. So the proxy uh, must reside on a data store using the same block size as the intended backup client. That's uh, that was uh, some of the details I was reading in the release notes with the uh, for VDDK as well. And each proxy is going to be limited to a maximum of 60 concurrent VMDK backups per proxy. Uh, so it can it can mount up a maximum of um, 60 disks at, at any uh, given time, and this is because uh, the, the uh, virtual machines only support uh, up to four SCSI controllers with 15 disks per controller. So if you have a very uh, very tight backup window and a lot of clients, then you're probably going to end up having to implement additional proxies to support that. Also, not lim or not mentioned here is if you have any kind of um, uh, proxies that uh, are, excuse me, if you have any kind of clusters that have data stores that are restricted, so that 
uh, you're going to have to have um, a proxy for any kind of isolated data stores, anything like that. That you're not going to be able to. It has to be able to mount up the snapshot on whatever host it's on. So going forward, uh, we also have uh, talking a little bit about agent versus agentless backups. So agent-based backups are your traditional backup methodology. You're going to load an application into into your virtual machine. You're going to treat it as if it's a physical host, and it's going to uh, back up like normal. It'll back up over the same interfaces, uh, uh, network interfaces that your virtual machine currently uses. And this is probably going to be one of the most impactful uh, methods that you could use in order to back up your virtual infrastructure. Agentless backups uh, or agentless VMware backups uh, do not require you to load any kind of applications or proxies into the virtual machine itself to perform those guest backups. So I probably shouldn't have said proxies there just because it's it, what it amounts to is that you're not going to have to have a, a software running in those virtual machines in order to back up. Uh, these, they're going to use the VADP APIs to, um, and one of those four transport methods to actually back up. So that's the, that's the main difference there between the agent and agentless backups. Now, you also have application-aware backups. You can kind of think of these as uh, agent light. A lot of times they do um, – or. So they're going to be uh, backing up the virtual machine using the uh, VADP methods, but they do typically still require some sort of guest application to be installed for uh, communication, like uh, uh, to tell the application it's going to quiesce and to that it, it is actually being backed up so that the application is aware. Uh, uh, it's, uh, as far as the support, it's going to vary based on by product typically. When someone talks about application-aware backups, currently they're referring to either uh, Microsoft Exchange, Microsoft SQL, or Microsoft SharePoint. Those are the three common products that are uh, supported for application-aware backups uh, currently. So getting into selection criteria. Uh, your backup solution, depending on which one you have, uh, is going to have all kinds of different ways that you can select virtual machines for uh, dynamic queries uh, or uh, decide which machine or statically set up which machine you're going to use. And uh, some products support some features and, and others will not. <clears throat> so uh, selection criteria uh, can be your, your uh, virtual machine display name, the host name, DNS name, the BIOS UUID or the Institute UUID. Uh, some of these, like, for example, the host name and DNS name actually require the VMware tools to be running. So if you have an environment that you turn on a machine to make a change and then you turn it off again and you leave it off but you still want that backed up, then that means that you cannot use a host name or DNS name because the uh, VMware tools will not be running and therefore you uh, will not be able to uh, uh, actually back that machine up. Other things that you can use for your selection criteria could be a um, uh, users and computers folders. Uh, you can use uh, VMware tags. You can use your uh, host cluster, data center, or vCenter level uh, selection. What data store? You can use your power state. So if the machine is powered on, I'm, I'm only worried about the machines that are running. So if a machine gets powered off, 
it, it gets skipped for the backups. And again, there's other criteria that they could be selected and it, I could just keep going on with those details. Uh, the part that you need to be careful of is that if you use a generic term for a selection criteria, so if you say create a folder in each of your data centers called backups, and you decide that uh, your query is going to be based on backups, and if that's the only thing you use for selection, then there's a chance that you could actually end up backing up your a uh, virtual machine across your WAN if your uh, backup application is able to connect to those um, devices. So that you do need to make sure that when you use queries, you, you make sure that you um, keep in mind that you uh, uh, that if you're that your that your query is only selecting virtual machines that are in an intended location. So, so uh, large companies or companies that t tend to acquire other companies uh, may end up running into having multiple uh, solutions uh, in their environments. Uh, now, you, it's easy to actually implement multiple backup solutions in, in an environment as long as you uh, take into consideration uh, uh, the uh, limitations of each product and you go ahead and uh, account for those. So, uh, you, know, you, you do need to work with your backup admin and or your uh, backup vendor to uh, find what uh, selection criteria works uh, for all your products. Uh, we actually ran into this uh, with the, uh, our company when Ariel and I were implementing this. We found that certain feature sets such as tags were supported with, with one product at one version but not with a different version uh, and another product wouldn't support it at all so we had to find a common ground to use for our selection criteria uh, and you need to determine that if you're going to if you use multiple backup solutions are you going to uh, separate it by our region by data center cluster are you going to is it going to be a workload type and so You'll need to uh, sit down and uh, design or uh, draw draw up some rules about what product is going to be used for what purpose. Now, your granularity, your backups. Uh, typically, you can support excluding disks. So, if you have uh, servers that have a very large uh, secondary disk that's used for only swap file, and then every and then everything else is um, important, you could exclude only that second disk. Some products will even allow you to uh, uh, exclude um, uh, folders or files of the virtual machine itself. Then, then we'll get into restores. You can actually choose to restore an entire virtual machine, a, uh, a particular disk, a folder, or a file. Now, some of these restores may require an agent to be loaded in order to run that restore. Not, not all of them support restoring directly, uh, a file directly back into the same virtual machine uh, without any kind of additional help. So, uh, some products can also perform instant recovery where an NFS uh, share is mounted from your backup solution into your virtual environment and then the virtual machine is actually powered on, uh, it's, it is actually um, connected to and powered on from your backup device so that you can get that machine online immediately and then you can do a storage vMotion and to copy the data back out to your uh, production environment. Uh, 
I've heard some companies that recommend this for single file restores, which to me, it seems like it's a little bit wasteful. The, the idea of a um, urgent um, um, use to mount it back up and then move it out seems like a much more um, usable function of this. And again, not all products support it, so you'll have to find out what, uh, based on your products, what does and does not, uh, uh, is not a feature of your product. So some, some common gotchas. Some pro uh, products will actually allow you to, uh, to skip the swap files, which on Windows is fine. It'll, um, and, and I'm referring to the guest OS swap file, not your VM swap file. So your swap file on inside of Windows or your swap partition in Linux. Uh, now, if you do exclude your swap files on a Linux a virtual machine guest, if you do perform a full system recovery, that Linux or that swap partition will actually not be recreated. So when it gets when it goes to boot up from a full Linux uh, VM recovery, you will need to uh, go back and. Uh, uh, recreate the, the swap partition so that the machine runs properly. Now, some uh, some backup or some uh, uh, file systems uh, are actually do not support granular recovery, uh, and that's actually a limitation of the VDDK. So, for example, ext4 was not supported in some of the earlier versions of the VDDK for great single file recovery. That has been added, but uh, newer uh, file systems like uh, BRTFS still remain unsupported. So you can still back up the virtual machine. You can restore the whole the whole virtual machine. You can restore a disk, but you wouldn't be able to crack it open and pull out a single file. Now, something that uh, one of my friends ran into was uh, quiescing. So he had a um, a pair of SQL servers in a cluster with a basically mirrored copies of the cluster. And it, uh, what would happen is, is whenever he would go to run a backup it and it would quiesce the cluster, uh, his active-active uh, SQL cluster uh, actually kept failing uh, over back and forth repeatedly during his backup window. So that is uh, something to keep in mind. He had to actually change his method that he was backing up uh, those machines with. And then uh, some uh, products will actually allow you to um, install a plugin into vCenter uh, so that you can view the status of backups or to actually perform some sort of uh, management and or recovery from with, right directly within vCenter. Uh, the solution that uh, I had experience with, uh, I went to go and uh, deploy it. The uh, plugin looked like it loaded. It showed that in the API browser that it loaded, it wasn't loading into uh, vCenter. We'll come to find out um, the uh, binary files that it needed to copy. Uh, I had hosted off of a HTTP uh, web server, and uh, vCenter will only allow you to imp uh, import from a a secure HTTP an HTTPS server. Uh, it does not trust a uh, an unencrypted uh, se uh, session for loading a plugin, so that wasn't really well documented anywhere. And so, that's something that you may run into if you go to deploy a plugin and you see it's there, but it doesn't, or it looks like it's there, but you don't actually have it ever show up. That may be a uh, something that you could be running into. And Charles, 
just to stop you there a little bit, I sure. think you had made a blog post about that kind of thing, right? So I did. A particular, I, a particular vendor that had a certain situation. Exactly. It, it was, um, and I'll, yeah, I'll send it, out the link to the blog post. I'll look it up. Sure. Yeah, and it so it was documented on page like I think it was fifty six of fifty nine of the plugin book. So and it was only like a two line blurb in there. So it was not uh, it was not an easy pro uh, problem to find. All right, and then um, getting into permissions. Now this is um, uh, every uh, admin's nightmare. So your agent-based backups that we were talking about before uh, aren't going to require any kind of uh, vCenter permissions. They uh, they they work in the guest level, and so you see nothing about them, and so it doesn't matter to you. Now your agentless backups, so your VADP backups, are going to require a a user account to uh, establish those connections and to uh, perform these uh, functions. Uh, each backup solution. Uh, is going to have uh, their own set of uh, rules as far as what um, sets of permissions they're going to need. But uh, realistically, they're only a couple of checkboxes short of your admin account. Uh, it's not going to need access to the security, but it's going to need almost everything else because it will need to be able to not only back up, snapshot, but it'll also need to be able to create and um, establish connections. So uh, be aware that. Uh, that backup user account is going to be almost an admin by the time you're done with it. Now, getting into uh, uh, if you're dealing with multiple um, uh, backup solutions within your environment, do you want to use a single backup user account for all your products, or do you want to have multiple accounts? This was actually something that uh, Ariel and I had debated about whenever we uh, were setting it up, and so. A single user account is going to be, you know, easier to do, and you just unfortunately you uh, will end up providing it with um, a the permissions that all, that all the products need combined. Uh, but then uh, all your solutions are going to use the same one, so you're not going to know if if something happens which product it came from. Multiple accounts will allow you to identify which particular product is uh, is performing something that could be detrimental to your environment and allows you to isolate it. Uh, it also, uh, if something happens to that account, then it's uh, only going to affect that one product and your other products will continue to operate normally. But that does mean that you're going to have to set up additional accounts and have each one of them have their own set of permissions within your vCenter environment. And uh, so uh, now we get to the uh, question and answer set, uh, time. If there also, if you're interested, there's some additional reading on using uh, uh, change block tracking. Uh, there's a designing backup solutions for VMware uh, vSphere uh, uh, document that comes directly from VMware. Uh, some additional information on disk transport methods and some best practices and troubleshooting from both uh, Veritas and from uh, VMware themselves. So. Uh, I do have I have observations and I have questions. Okay. Sure. So the first observation is that nowhere in your presentation was there any talk about testing your backups. Uh yeah, unfortunately the um uh, I mean testing we'll get into um 
dealing with a particular uh, solution saying uh, when you go to backup and then go to restore, each one of them is going to, you're going to have to go about slightly differently. The APIs themselves function the same. So, but I didn't get into covering those. That's something I can add later on as well. So, yep. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that if you're if you're a new VMware admin and suddenly you're also the backup admin because no one else is doing it, it's probably a great idea to to you know include some slides on it. So I thought that was a good observation. Sure. Uh, we got a question, and we got this question a while ago. You might need to go back on your on your slides, but sure. it was. Can he explain a bit more about client-side dedupe and does it handle CBT? So because this was around the transport modes when you were talking about just before you started the rest of the presentation. You're referring to uh, probably the uh, whenever I was talking about uh, hot ad. I believe so. Yeah. So client-side dedupe is uh, is where your backup software running in your proxy agent or your or your proxy appliance. It's actually handling, uh, performing the dedupe on that particular uh, inside of that particular virtual machine instead of offloading that process to a dedicated backup appliance outside of your environment. Now, the um, drawback to uh, client-side dedupe is is that it uh, tends to uh, be very, uh, very much uh, CPU intensive. So, if you if you do a um, if you use the uh, uh, a bunch of small uh, ESXi hosts versus uh, a few large hosts, you're uh, you're, pro you're more likely to have a, uh, a particular ESXi host pegging out on a, on a couple of CPUs versus uh, uh, versus something that is not doing dedupe in there. Uh, do you have a, another qu or anything else that you're wanting to know about that in particular? Uh, I'm asking if he has a microphone so we can do it, but we, I will open the floor and say if anybody else wants to ask something, uh, you can raise your hand, you can write it in the in the interface, or you can let me know and I'll open the microphone. So what kind of questions? I, 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 one thing that I mentioned when I sent out the tweet is that you have given this presentation in two or three user cons? Three, three different user cons, yes. What kind of question have you gotten there that you thought was a good question? Maybe, maybe something you included there, but you know, someone asked me this or or presented a case that you thought it's maybe worth sharing for the recording. Well, unfortunately, uh, when I give give this presentation at user cons, I haven't gotten a whole lot of questions uh, asked back to me. Uh, one of the few questions I did get was uh, surrounding uh, one of the products, Net Backup, uh, and I had a user that asked me about. Uh, uh, resource limitations. Uh, in, for example, in Net Backup, uh, there's a function that you can uh, restrict the number of um, uh, any number of attributes. So you could say that you only want so many uh, backups from a certain uh, uh, VMFS data store. You can say you only want uh, so many backups from a particular host. You can uh, there there are a bunch of different functions or uh, items that you can use to kind of tailor that out so that uh, as we were discussing before, like with MBD, so that you spread the workload across more of your hosts and re thereby uh, reduce uh, uh, overloading any particular uh, uh, machine. So that was uh, one, you know, one of the uh, few questions that I did get was someone asking about uh, the set implementing resource limitations. 
Okay. And finally, uh, the one thing that I was discussing here in the in the question um, interface was uh, some people actually have audits, you know, over testing the restores. Have mm -hmm. you found yourself um, preferring any particular product or finding that the functionality is there or isn't there when you actually have to prove or detail reports on backups? So. As far as uh, pr uh, product goes, um, uh, each product's got their own pros and cons. I mean, unfortunately, it's it's really hard to give a uh, you know yes, this one works great, whereas you know this one's you know not uh, quite as uh, good. Uh, I like Net Backup for for the virtual machine queries because it, they give you so many different uh, um, objects that you can use for uh, for your uh, dynamic selection. Uh, Commvault comes in behind it, you know, a little bit less. Uh, I found out uh, at the uh, Orlando UserCon when I was there, I was talking to uh, Veeam, and they said, and they were t uh, telling me how they implemented uh, tag support for VM selection. And when I started asking about it, they said, oh well, you know, we can either do um, tag selection or we can do uh, a boolean query. We can't do both. Which would so if you said, I want to do uh, a tag for backups. Then you would need to make sure that each tag or each um, location has backups. Um, it has a unique tag for it, so that you're only backing up from the intended location. Whereas with the backup, I could say, "I want this backup tag, but I only want it to come from this data center." So that's uh, that's uh, pro from a backup admin's perspective. That seems like that was a. Um, uh, a very um, important feature. Okay. And now we're, we're getting more. I'm sorry. I, I thought you were you were finished. Uh, well, I was I was looking in the uh, chat and I saw someone had asked about um, periodic restores. Uh, now there are some. I think uh, Commvault, I believe, has the ability to um, schedule restores. Uh, NetBackup with the 812 actually provides access to the uh, REST APIs. They implement REST APIs in there, so you could actually, in theory, uh, code out a script or, uh, that would uh, sit there and take one of your uh, backups, and then uh, or then go back and restore it, and then run a check on it, see if the VM kernel, uh, or, I mean, see if the VM tools comes back online, things like that. So. Uh, some of your products that do support this, uh, I think uh, that Rubric uh, supports uh, the REST APIs. So those would be a way that you could automate the, the process of, of running a restore and test function without having to go back and manually do this constantly. Very cool. All right, so we got in more questions. Okay, so... Okay. Any recommendations for checking CBT settings on your VMs without going to edit settings, options, advanced general configuration parameters for each VM? And uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to say PowerShell, but anything else? Uh, some of the uh, some management tools may support that functionality, uh, but uh, but yeah, PowerCLI will, would probably be your best um, uh, best way to script that out and automate that process. Um, that's the easiest way I could that I would be able to think about it, and I'm not even I'm not even a coder, and I would make the effort to use that method instead. Okay. 
Uh, on this particular slide, would one proxy per VM host be a good idea? You know, pinning basically that VM to the host and keeping one host per one VM per host. Um, Obviously, it comes at a at a cost, but well, it, it, I wouldn't say that it comes at a cost because most uh, solutions are going to end up they're either going to uh, they're either going to license it based on the number of hosts that you've got involved, or the number, and that by hosts I'm referring to your ESXi hosts, or they're going to license it based on the capacity involved. So uh, there's not really, it's not going to make much of a difference cost-wise, except for any kind of licenses for the operating system. But uh, it, it, there's not a clear answer for that. It, it depends on your environment. If you're using a bunch of smaller ESXi hosts, I, I would not use one proxy per host, if, uh, just because I don't think that, that you're going to get enough of a benefit from it to make it worthwhile. Whereas if you're using a few larger hosts, uh, you know, some of these, uh, you know, insane ESXi hosts that have, you know, a terabyte of RAM in the host itself, that might make more sense to do that, and that way you are uh, more uh, utilizing the resources of your ESXi host uh, a little bit better. All right, so that's the questions. We are looking forward to that uh, blog post that you have promised with PowerCLI to check the uh, the um, CBT settings, and uh, that's gonna be it for today. Thank you so much, Charles. Uh, we really appreciate your time uh, sharing this, so it can be recorded, so more people, so more people can see it, and uh, it should be up in YouTube in the next two days. All right, thank you very much.